adaptive finance, the second most interesting topic after the Super Bowl. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials. I'm Gabby LaPera here in the studio with Tyler Crow. I'm so excited to have someone. A little bit of a change up for this week. I know. Um, not that I'm, I miss you, Maxfield. Don't get me wrong. But I'm so excited to actually have a person with me in the studio. Um, Tyler Crow, if you don't know, just in case you don't listen to our energy podcast, is one of the Motley Fool's best energy and industrials analysts. She's overstating things very, very much. But <laughs> I'll take it anyways. Well, thank you for joining us. And I wasn't kidding. We're actually going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl today. Um, there's this guy, Robert Stovall. Uh, he's an analyst on Wall Street. Um, and he came up with this thing called the Super Bowl Predictor. I'm going to let Tyler talk about it because I made like six mistakes when I was attempting to describe this to him. He was like, those teams don't exist anymore. I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm going to hand it off to you. So there is a weird um, predictor of the Super Bowl that basically says, uh, if a team from the NFC wins, we're going to have an up Wall Street year or the market's going to end up. And then when an AFC team wins, we're going to have a down market. Now, last year, uh, as we know, Patriots won, and so the market was down 2.2%. And the, the crazy thing about it is over the past, the previous 49 Super Bowls, 40 of them have been right. That's like better than most Wall Street analysts, Yeah, which is you know <laughs> pretty impressive. So now that the Denver Broncos have won, uh, there is... Some are saying, predicting that we're going to have a down market again, and so far this year we haven't exactly gotten off to a great start. Gosh, so darn it! We'll see how it goes. One of the Manning brothers, Peyton. He, she's trying really hard to talk about football <laughs> right now, and it's not going great for her. But hey, you know we're going to make it work, anyways. Yeah. Um, anyway, now that the super interesting, accessible part of our show is over, now we're going to talk about captive finance, something that you never thought you wanted to know about. But now you are going to if you listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, so captive finance, uh, you have probably encountered this before and hadn't realized it. It's basically when you get financing to buy something from the company that you're buying the product from. Um, you most you mostly see this with car dealerships. So if you've ever bought a car, say from like Ford, um, you have the option of going to your bank and getting a loan or uh, Ford will provide you financing to buy their vehicle. Um, most of the time, companies do this so that it kind of removes a friction point. So, like you, you've got a car, you're in the dealership, and you're like, "Oh wait, I have to go call my bank to see if I can get a loan." And the the sales agents are like, "No, no, but we can provide financing for you instead." Um, that that works out great um, for them anyway. <laughs> you're much more likely to buy that. Um, so. The other things that you can do instead of captive finance and going to a loan is um, you could go to a random finance company. So that's a finance company that is not a bank. A non-banking finance company is like the official designation for these things. Is literally anything from like a pawn shop to like lending club or. Well, you've never you've never bought a car from the pawn shop. You could buy a car from a pawn shop. Oh, well. I think it's you haven't lived until you've bought car from a pawn shop. It's but. basically anything that can't take deposits but can give loans. That's what a fi- finance company is. Um, and then your other option, of course, is buy here, pay here. Uh, Tyler, do you want to do your impression of these commercials? So basically, <laughs> you've probably heard them on the radio or anything like that. It's when you come on down to Randy's Auto Emporium where you need... If bad credit, no credit, no problem. If you've ever heard that statement, that is a buy here, pay here 
kind of a establishment. Right. That is the dealer giving you financing directly through that dealership, not through corporate or anything. Uh, captive finance is through corporate. And the captive finance company is a company that's wholly owned by a parent company. Um, and, and it can be for anything. But we're obviously going to be talking about captive finance companies because this is the financials edition. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I think the best-known industrial examples, um, like I said, are probably automakers. Uh, the biggest captive finance-ers um, are Ford and Toyota. They, uh, I think, originate the most loans for new cars um, out of any out of anything. This is including banks like Wells Fargo and stuff. Like they originate the most loans for new cars, which is crazy. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about it, and if we look back, you know, a couple of years ago, thinking like pre-recession sort of times. These things were massive, massive financing arms. You know, If you look at somebody like uh, General Motors when they had GMAC, just before they spun it off into Ally, is it Ally Bank or Ally Financial? I'm not as good with the financial names on things like that. But I digress. Either way, if you actually look at the pre-recession numbers for General Motors' financial arm, it was actually the revenue from it or I'm sorry, revenue from it was greater than the actual cars themselves because it had become such a large component of the business. So, the, you know, when you're talking about these these financial arms, they can be a considerable, considerable component of these businesses. Definitely. Um, and, of course, you, you're probably asking yourself, um, what about the used car market? Like, that probably doesn't go through dealerships in the same way. And you're right. Um, but these these captive arms for these dealers, um, they're making mostly loans for new cars. So the amounts that they're lending out are higher. Um, And they also tend to be lending to people. People who are buying new cars tend to have higher credit scores than people who are buying used cars. Um, I think that the average in 2015 um, for someone buying a new car, their credit score was 710, which is technically prime. Technically. Technically prime. Um, and the average for someone who's buying a used car is only 650 And if we look at the trends, you can actually see that that's starting to trend back down again, which isn't exactly the most uh, yeah. encouraging sign. If you look at the numbers from uh, 10, 2010 on the way down, uh, this is actually – somebody is at all interested in the captive finance market of industrial companies, especially in the automotive sector. Great uh, – Market research is the Experian automotive finance market. Uh, they give all the credit statistics when it comes to stuff like this. And the average credit score in 2010 for a new car finance was 733, and in 2015 it's dropped down to 710. So, not exactly the most encouraging sign as we come out of a recession. But hey, no. sometimes you get, <laughs> get a little bit more ambitious as the times get good. Right. And the, I mean, obviously, the problem with this for um, our less experienced listeners is that people with lower credit scores are more likely to default. That's what the credit score is telling people. Um, so, when those credit scores go down, it's concerning for people who are actually holding the loans, um, which in this case would be the actual corporations. Yeah, it's I mean, when you're looking at uh, the financial arm. If you're looking at a business in this sort of realm, um, the the captive finance aspect of a business, you know, obviously you have the risk of default is probably the first thing you think about. You know, we if we look at what happened with G, GE Capital or with uh, the, the issues that they had at GM with Ally Bank, you know, the the, the first thing that everybody points to is 
the the risk of default. Like, what are the chances of it actually defaulting on their loans and causing issues for that? But if you're looking at it from a business, there's some other things that certainly, if you're looking to invest in one of these companies, like a GM, Toyota, or even some of the industrial ones, like say a John Deere, uh, GE, you have to look at some of the other components. And I think one of the ones you actually have to think about is. Um, Artificial inventory build? It sounds really weird. I mean, we're talking about some fascinating stuff here today. But uh, I'm sorry that we're not as exciting as commodities markets, Tyler. <laughs> it, it can be because, you know, there's this, uh, we're tying in commodities on this one. So let's, let's use a great example of uh, John Deere right now. Uh, since 2012, sales at Deere have been slumping. The actual sales, straight up sales of something where they take the cash, wipe their hands and say, go have fun with your, your new equipment. Can I ask you something real quick? Sure. Do they make anything other than tractors? Like, is that their thing, oh, yeah. is tractors? Oh, I mean, uh, agriculture, any agriculture equipment aside from tractors, you also get into some of the heavier, heavy construction equipment, excavators, things like that. So, you know, there's, there's a pretty large component of John Deere that is agricultural, but they do have some construction stuff. And that's actually why things have been kind of getting funky. So, uh, agricultural sales have been slumping for the past few years, and then you throw on a commodities bust that we've had over the past for you know iron ore and a lot of other commodities. It's been five years, and then you throw on energy over the past 18 <laughs> months, and nobody is liking what's going on. And so with somebody like Deere, they've actually, while their sales have gone down, their operational leases, where they actually lease out their equipment through their financing arm to farmers, to whoever – that has grown a very large amount. And what that leads to, though, is once the lease expired, John Deere is left with this whole bunch of used equipment. And then they have to sell it because there's no point in having a used inventory uh, or inventory of used equipment. Sorry. And what that ends up happening is once you get that inventory build, you have to drop prices and then your margins start to go down. So it's, it's that interesting play on how does the financing arm of the business really play into how that actually works for them. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I also remember seeing that um, the number of car leases as well has been going up over the last few years as well, um, which is always is, is that's actually a question that we get in uh, personal finance all the time, which is should I buy or lease my car? Um, we're not going to get into that, but it, it, that question that you ask yourselves is also something that the corporation is asking itself. Yeah, I mean, at least with somebody on a lease end, they want to sell you the car because they want to, when it's done, they want to wipe their hands of it. They don't want to have a used car in inventory because, you know, it's a drag on margins. But it, so it, when times like this that happen, though, you do have to have that financing arm to kind of, like you were saying earlier, grease the skids, remove that friction point from the sale, you know, if, if I, I do remember because you were talking about like the financing arm of it. I was in a dealership maybe three or four years ago when I bought my car, and that was the first thing that came to mind was before you go, it's always the you know check in with banks, see what you can get, and then you get right there, and they're like, oh well, we've got the financing right here, ready and waiting for you, and you know in thirty seconds we're going to check your credit and we're going to tell you what you can get, and it it keeps you in the door and it makes the signing on the bottom line a heck of a lot faster and when you're trying to make a large purchase like that it uh it helps a lot when it comes to uh making the sale at the end of the day yeah because they're i mean it incentivizes them it's it's all staying in house which they like mm -hmm. um i i bought a new car a couple of years ago too i did the same thing i did i did in-house financing um i love my car I just, I really, it, it snowed a lot here and my car has four wheel drive. Um, and I've never had a car with four wheel drive before. 
And I still drive very carefully because I'm terrified of the snow because technically I grew up in the South. <laughs> but <laughs> Tyler's laughing because he grew up in New England and he's like, ah, snow. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> What's that? We can figure that out pretty quick. <laughs> so I do want to ask you, you know, kind of thinking on the risk of default. Um, I am more on the industrial side, so I don't understand that as much. If you could maybe give some details, at least for me, say I'm the industrials person and I don't know anything about the risk of default, what are some of the things that maybe I should be watching for uh, in a in a captive finance business that has that, like if I'm looking through an income statement or a balance sheet? Um, so what you're going to want to look for is uh, net charge-offs. Um, and those are basically saying um, how much the company has had to charge off on loans that are delinquent, that they aren't, just aren't going to be fulfilled. Um, if you see a trend of those rising, mm-hmm. bad news bears. Um, <laughs> and typically, like if companies really know what they're doing, um, it's not going to get much above one percent. Most have it below that. Um, during the financial crisis, it went nuts. Like it went, it got up to four percent. Everyone, I mean, you remember the financial crisis? It was bad. It, it was times. not a good time. <laughs> um, so really, like you're looking at that, and it and it once it starts getting past that one percent mark, you're like, oh, I don't know. Um, the other thing that you want to look for um, is the. Uh, loan reserves. So companies uh, budget a certain amount of their their profits, saying like, we know that some people are going to default on their loans. Like that's just a fact of life. Um, and some companies have more or less of a buffer in order to pay off those loans. Um, ideally, you'd want a company with a conservative buffer. So this is actually something that we've seen with banks um, with a lot of oil exposure. Is a lot of them are raising their reserves in response to this because. A lot of the people that they've given loans to are going to default, uh, like especially if you're like a small. And trust me, there are a lot of people that are going on default right about now. So yeah. you can see why it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So those are those are really the two things that you're going to want to look for in terms of like worrying about defaults. Um, and companies are required to give you this data. Like it's going to be in their 10Q. Um, one of the things that was actually really interesting in that Experian auto loan mm-hmm. finance market thing that we looked at was it showed us a map of the US and how likely like a state was to default on its loans on its auto loans and it was like the entire south was red and then like the northwest pacific was green which was man it was good it was really low it was below like 0.5 or something it certainly has changed over time i mean i think we went back and looked like through the fast 5 years and uh-huh. you know 2010, 2009, it wasn't looking as great, but things are do, yeah. are looking a little like bit better as of late. So the almost across country, the board, I think in 2010 was like was defaulting like, at a pretty high rate. Yeah, it was like various shades of red. It wasn't it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the other thing that we want to talk about is um, lots of lots of companies have captive finance arms. It's not just it's just it's not just cars. Um, one of the most I think well-known ones would be GE, which is General Electric, just in case you don't know. Um, and they obviously they sell a lot of stuff like in terms of consumer goods, like uh, washing machines and stuff like that. Although they have recently sold off their <clears throat> appliances. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of uh, maybe aside from light bulbs. I think might be their last like real consumer-facing product that they've been doing as of late. But I mean. You can almost name anything on the industrial side of things, and GE probably has their fingers in it somewhere. Yeah, airplanes, healthcare, yeah, just oil and gas, all sorts every, of things. all across the board. 
Um, anyway, so back in 2013, uh, GE got designated as a SIFI, which is a systematically important financial institution, which I think Tyler says is sci-fi, which I like. <laughs> well, I'm not a finance person, so I, I just know. assumed that it was sci-fi. I actually don't know which one's right. I, I don't. I've never heard anyone else say it besides me and Maxfield. Okay. So maybe you're right, and I've Who just knows? been we'll find saying out. it wrong. I'm sure someone will write in and tell me which one of us is right. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so GE was labeled as a SIFI sci-fi in 2013, um, and that's that's a huge hassle. If you're not a bank, and it's already a huge hassle for bank, it's a huge hassle um, because it, it, it comes with a lot of like expensive regulatory requirements. Like You're required to have all these capital bases, and you have to do all these stress tests, which aren't cheap to do. Um, and it means that a lot of your capital is tied up in... Like just in case it, it's basically just in case financing. Just in case you go belly up, well, you can't because you have all this cap, all this capital saved up so that you can't. Um, which means that for a company that's like trying to innovate and trying to do other things that, and they're not a bank, it, it's it's a problem because banks have to have that money. Like they have deposits and stuff anyway. It's not a big deal for them. That's part of their business model. But for GE, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Well. If you if you look at the history of GE and GE Capital more specifically, you can almost see why this happened. So let's start pre-financial crisis. And uh, GE Capital had just become a massive, massive component of the entire business. If you look at 2007, their total net income, their their financial or capital markets aspect of the business was anywhere between 40 to 50% of their entire business. And this is somebody who makes almost everything. And so, when you had that, they were taking they. It seems like, and you can even even CEO Jeff Immelt has said this over time is that they got caught up in the numbers of profit on the capital end and didn't really focus on who they were as an industrial manufacturer. So, I mean, if you look at some of the things that were on the GE Capital uh, balance sheet over the time, they were doing private label credit cards for Amazon.com, Walmart, Gap, companies like that. Um, and just taking on a lot of more of a role of a bank or a financing company just for the simple fact that the returns were there rather than maybe using their captive finance aspect of their business purely for their industrial operations or whatever they're selling for. And so when the collapse happened, you know, they had to get a $3 billion preferred share TARP esque buyout from Warren Buffett, who gave them a little bit of approval there it uh you know it kind of let, made them look in the mirror and say oh wow we really should get out of this capital business and focus on what we do well as an industrial manufacturer and so we've seen the results of that where they have uh spun off synchrony financial they've sold what is it 30 billion dollars worth of assets to wells fargo you're a little yes, bit better with the 30 billion dollars uh, worth of commercial lending leasing to wells fargo so uh, on top of that, and I believe it's somewhere in the $150, $160 billion range in terms of assets they've been selling right. or deleveraging so from that GE Capital. That $150 billion, $115 billion asset management business, um, they're in talks with State Street, which is already a SIFI, um, to sell it to them. And that is relevant as of, I believe, Friday or Thursday of last week. Which would have been February fourth, just in case you're listening to this in like July of 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, it, it's a great it's a great deal for State Street, um, but it does make a lot of sense for GE. Like, they are getting rid of a very expensive part of their business for them. If you look at like a little chart 
um, that says what what made GE the most money in 2001? It was hands down GE Capital. Mm-hmm. Now it's somewhere like fifth on the list. Like it, it's not making them nearly as much money as they used to. And and for good reason. And on top of the CFI sci-fi, whatever, however we want to call it, <laughs> uh, designation, what it also does for somebody like an industrial manufacturer like GE, it limits some of the shareholder um, things that you can do or, or shareholder return things, uh, buybacks dividend raises, things like that, that uh, as you're an investor in the industrial space, those are the things you're going to probably be looking for a little bit more more aggressively than maybe, say, in, in the financial realm. And so with that designation, they, they're they being held back from a lot of and things. The reason for that is because, like I said, there's capital requirements for these companies. Um, they have to pass these tests, and the federal government will basically tell them whether or not they're allowed to give out dividends. Right. Um, and the federal government has said no to them in the past. And so far, federal government has said no to GE in that realm for the most part. Even, But the interesting thing is now is that since G- it has sold off such a large component of its GE capital, it's to the point where it maybe shouldn't necessarily be considered a systematically important financial right. institution anymore. And they but, did this on purpose. Like right. they, they straight up said – uh, we want to quarter, get rid of this. First quarter of 2016, we are going to apply to lose our SIFI designation. We don't want it. We're going to do as best we can to sell off everything we have. Yeah, and and as a part of that, they've basically told shareholders what they get out of it. They're going to get $35 billion in stock buybacks, another $35 billion potentially in dividends. So they're really trying to throw some large numbers out there to the shareholders and give them the incentive, hey, we need to get rid of this. This is why. And you know, hopefully the federal government will kind of drop that systematically important designation soon enough because uh, for GE to really kind of unleash their capital, all that reserves built up, not just in terms of return to shareholders, but even towards reinvestment in the actual business itself, it it really needs to happen. So hopefully uh, this will be a a lesson to GE and and many others that, (laughs) you know, it's nice to have a financing arm, but it shouldn't be the biggest component of your business if you're a manufacturer. Right. Soon we won't be able to talk about them on industry-focused financials at all. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> that's, that's at least my opinion. I know everybody has their own like investing opinions and things like that, but I like to think of a captive financing arm of an industrial manufacturer or anything like that. It should never be talked about, at least in my opinion. Like If I'm going on the tent, if I'm listening to a quarterly earnings call or uh, looking at some of the financial statements, it should almost feel like an afterstatement. It's something there to kind of smooth the skids when we're trying to make some sales happen, and maybe we'll generate a modest return on it. You definitely don't want to see a loss on but, it. Yeah, well, granted. <laughs> but I don't want to see that the dominant component of the business in any way, because it it really, as we've seen over these past six, seven, eight years of that transformation of GM, GE, people like that, that when it becomes such a large component of the business, it distracts from what a company does yeah. well. And GE, by most rights, probably didn't need to be into the private credit card business. They just got enamored with it. And you know, now that it's not there, hopefully they can focus on what they do best. Right. And that, just in case you're curious, that private label credit card business got spun off um, with Synchrony uh, back in October yeah. of 2015. 2014. Oh, 2014. Of 2014. Um, so it's been gone for a while. All for the better. All for the better. Um, just in case you're wondering, by the way, why Tyler Crow is on the show with me today. Uh, this week is um, 
we've come up with a industry number, mashup. Industry mashup. Uh, the Venn diagram week. I don't know. One of one of us is going to appear on someone else's show all all week. So tomorrow I will be on Consumer Goods. Get excited! I have no idea what we're talking about yet. <laughs> Actually, Taylor Muckerman was supposed to be in here because he's the other industry uh, industrials analyst with us. Unfortunately, he's a very large Carolina Panthers fan, <laughs> no. and he is nowhere to be seen. So hopefully, we can find him someday. Oh, if you're out there, Taylor, feel better. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us on Industry Focus. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great week, and don't forget to email us about your opinions on SIFI versus sci-fi. Email is industryfocus at fool.com. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.